This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Where all the good bits? Yeah. <sighs> How good is public speaking? <laughs> yeah, so I've, um, I've never done this before. Um, it's not stressful at all, uh, very relaxing. Um, every year I like to challenge myself with something, like a couple of years ago I taught myself how to code. Um, 2015 was looking a little bit dull, so I thought I'd give um, fatherhood a shot. Um, <laughs> time in my schedule, why not? Um, this year was public speaking, so I thought I'd start with something small. Uh, anyway. I'm Richard, I'm the UX lead at Previous Next, and microcopy is a topic I really like to nerd out about. So I'll sign up for random products and services just to see what kind of words they're using, that kind of thing. That's actually sort of how the blog started, goodmicrocopy.com. Um, if you're not sure what microcopy is, that's completely fine. We're going to cover all of that pretty shortly along with a bunch of other things. So here's the obligatory overview slide. We're going to be covering what microcopy is, what it can be used for, the importance of choosing the right words, and there's going to be a bunch of examples throughout. So let's get started. So first of all, what's microcopy? Um, in design circles, it's really popular at the moment. Uh, it's all over the blogs, Medium and Vision especially blog about it, so it's like every other day there's something. Uh, but while it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, microcopy itself has been around for a while. And you're probably more familiar than you realise. Suspense. So it's there when you download something, and when you shut down your computer, even when you log into Facebook, Error messages, button labels, uh, form field placeholders, pop-ups, and notifications. It's all over notifications, actually. You swipe them away, they just keep coming back. <laughs> so the words and messages that help you around products and websites, that's microcopy. It's not always about being small and subtle, though. Let's look at an example. When you send an email, you just need to know that it was sent. This example from Spark is a common approach for email clients. When you send an email, the message pops in, just disappears like that. Simple, neutral, and subtle. At the end of the day, it's just an email, and it happens all the time, so you don't really need to celebrate something like that. But sending out a campaign out on MailChimp, it's a bigger deal. There's a whole screen for that, for that message, actually. There's, because there's more weight and intention behind that decision, it deserves a pat on the back, or in their case, a high five. You have to pick what's appropriate. Often you are just giving some information and getting out of the way, but most of the time, or a lot of the time, it's not always about speed. Sometimes you need someone to slow down and pay attention. And microcopy is great at adding just the right amount of friction. This is a product called Abstract, a service which allows design teams using Sketch to work off the same design files, basically. Uh, 
projects live online, not, on your not only on your computer anyway. So if your computer blows up, you don't lose everything, which is fantastic. There are some actions, like deleting a project, where they need to make sure they have their users full, full attention. Deleting a project isn't like deleting an email. You need to understand the weight of the decision and understand the consequences. So let's take a little bit of a closer look. The description there is very clear and concise. And they've front-loaded the, the critical information, like permanently delete, to make sure they read that first. And the form and button labels, they're really clearly spelled out, so it's hard to misinterpret anything that's going on there. This makes the decision-making process very intentional, so you know what you're in for. Earlier I mentioned that microcopy helps you navigate around products and websites. Let's unpack that a little bit. When I talk about what microcopy brings to user experience, I often reference these two themes. Providing context and setting expectations. Providing context is about providing just enough information about what's relevant right now. Setting expectations is about letting users know what will happen next. Whoops, sorry, my bad. Critical tasks like that deleting project example often come with increased anxiety. And like we saw, the right sentence can make all the difference. I sort of look at it like that. The more someone knows about what's happening now and what will happen next, the more confident they are about the decisions they're making. And users just need a little bit of momentum. They don't need to know everything. Take Siri, for example. With new technology, you need to establish the ground rules. So in Siri's case, you need to know what you can ask and what you can expect in return. So they do something like this. And this is a good start because it gives you a better understanding of what the possibilities are. You understand you can do things like call people, launch apps, and be a little bit casual with your language. All they're doing is giving users a bit of a running start providing some examples and letting them figure out the rest. But an important thing to point out is this. What you choose to say plays a big role because it influences the decisions that follow. I did press the button. Okay. When you're writing microcopy, a lot of it comes down to choosing the right words. That means you're often choosing what to say and how to say it, but most importantly, how you're framing it and how things are framed can make a huge difference. Take pricing, for example. I see this all the time and it's getting pretty annoying, to be honest. Monthly prices for a product that's charged once a year. So at a glance, both of these products look like they're charged monthly, but only Spotify is. If you look closely at Figma, that price isn't actually their monthly price. It's just their annual price divided by 12. Their monthly price is tucked away at the bottom there. And Figma's pretty awesome. That's not a dig at them, by the way, because everyone's doing it. They're not alone. It's become this unspoken standard just to be competitive. Personally, I'd like to see more examples like this. Clear monthly pricing clear annual pricing, 
including what you save. Most importantly, I know what my choices are, and users should know what their choices are, because when they don't, then we're probably looking at something called a dark pattern. Slight lag. So a dark pattern is when a user is tricked into doing something, basically. One of the most common examples is called the bait and switch. It's when, a, when the user expects one thing but gets something else. In this example, we have two checkboxes. And typically, a checkbox means you're opting into something. However, in this example, it's, it's been worded very carefully to make, to make it seem like you are, but it's actually the opposite. What makes it even worse is the second checkbox at the bottom is an opt-in, so the behavior reverses, which is another dark pattern in itself. So that's pretty dodgy, but um, bigger companies are also guilty of this behavior as well. Recently, I unsubscribed from a paid Evernote account. And this is what that process is like. So I started my journey from the accounts page, that made sense. Halfway down the page, I uh, found a link to manage my subscription. That's, you know, it's a little bit hidden, but it's not so bad so far. This is where it gets tricky though. So up the top there, that information is pretty helpful. But given I want to man manage my subscription, I'd expect a button to be there. There's no button to be found. Not even a sneaky hyperlink, I checked. Looking down the page, I found a summary of the pricing tiers and a bunch of buttons. Again, given I'm trying to cancel my subscription, nothing really felt that obvious. And then I thought the most relevant was maybe update subscription because canceling is sort of updating in a way. So let's go with that. Payment form, that's not what I needed. I didn't want to change my payment details or the billing cycle. This I actually thought was a link to cancel. Unfortunately, it's just text telling me I can cancel any time, which is a bit ironic. I did that process twice and then I did this. And you really shouldn't have to Google your way out of something like that. And what was the answer? It was on this page at the very bottom, a button right there. So just to reiterate, to cancel my subscription, I had to change my account to the free one, which is very misleading because while they might have the same effect, it's not really the same action. Let's keep going anyway. Downgrading to basic. So at least it looks like we're in the right place. It's a bit passive aggressive, but you know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> so clear header, warning message, and a big green button. What do you think the button says? Proceed to downgrade, cancel subscription, something like that. Bait and switch. That is um, an exit button to cancel the process. Let's keep going. This section wasn't so bad. It's pretty helpful. Gives me a quick overview of what's going to change after I proceed with the downgrade. Um, and then at the bottom, these buttons, again, were a little bit annoying because the primary button is an exit shoot again. The secondary button, downgrade to basic, you know, at least I know what's going to happen after pressing it. It's 
a little bit of a long process, but this page is actually almost perfect to me. Like the, the title is clear, the supporting copy lets me know what, what, when they'll stop charging me, and the buttons, most importantly, the labels are clear and the hierarchy is clear enough. Like I'd switch them personally, but whatever. Along, on, like on the right there, the, that's a last ditch effort at customer attention, but honestly, it's like too little too late at that point. It really shouldn't be that hard to get out of anything. At the end of the day, microcopy is just the tool to enhance the user experience. So if a flow is designed specifically to confuse users, microcopy will just make the experience more confusing. Subtle message. As design teams creating these flows, we have the opportunity to influence user decisions. And while there may be important business goals like customer retention, we need to make sure we're still acting responsibly on behalf of our users because stuff like that isn't okay. If someone wants to unsubscribe, let them and do it on good terms. What we should be aiming for is microcopy that helps users when it matters most. You're probably all aware of Slack. One thing I admire about their approach to microcopy is their ability to provide the right information at the right time. Small things like showing text formatting shortcuts when you start typing, letting you know messages can't be sent while you're offline. I like this one, showing an old channel name if it's since been renamed. Quiet achievers like this are really effective because they're timely and relevant, and that's what microcopy is great at. Coming up to a close. So we've covered a bunch of things. How microcopy is everywhere. How establishing con context and setting expectations leads to confident actions. And how we need to choose our words, uh, our words carefully. Most importantly, we've also touched on how microcopy can influence decisions, both good and bad. So if you take one thing away from this talk, make it this. Be responsible. Because at the end of the day, users expect you're acting in their best interest. So don't betray their trust by tricking them into making choices they're not aware of. And that's about it, really. If you had any questions, comments, or feedback, I think we have time for Q&A. I'm pretty under. Um, Otherwise, tap me on the shoulder, reach out on LinkedIn. Um, but thank you for being an awesome audience. Alright, does anyone have any questions? Go on, there must be one at least. There we go. Yes, Elle. That was a fantastic presentation. Thank you so thank much, you. Richard. I'm really interested in what, so you, as a designer, what Draw, drew your interest into microcopy? What was that moment where you realised, oh my gosh, I finally get how important this is? Ah, uh, bang for buck, really. Like, it's just, um, it's relatively easy to implement and the, like, the impact it can deliver on with the relative lack of effort is amazing. So, like, for e-commerce sites, saying something simple like free shipping or just saying what's important or what's special about your service or product. Um, because I... 
buy my fair share of stuff. Like I, I know the impacts of what a small message can mean. So if I change my settings or something like that. So yeah, in a nutshell, just the bang for buckness of it all. Is that a word or a term? There. Do we have any more questions? I think that guy might have had a question uh, trying to come through the back. Yeah. There we go. Um, do you know much about the statistics on how many people sort of fall for those um, upgrade your subscription instead, you know, like the blindsided clicking? Um, just because it must, it feels like it's the sort of like scam way of building a website of like, you know, upgrade instead of cancel your subscription. Um, sorry, I'm not fully sure I get the question. Sort of uh, like. Uh, how often does it work, do you think? Like, if they build a website where it, you know, the, the microcopy and it says, like, um, upgrade instead of cancel, you know, the, the more obvious clickable choice is the one to say upgrade your plan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how often it would uh, work on someone, like, say, like, the older generation or something? Yeah, I suppose it's, like, general things that it's, like, it's easy to trick the older generation because they're not as savvy to those sort of things. Um, I suppose... It depends on the choices that people are provided. That's kind of like where, where the, the biggest difference can be. Statistics-wise, I can't say any numbers off the top of my head because it's all, I suppose, relative to what the screen is and where the microcopy is actually being implemented and what it's actually doing. I'm not sure if that actually answers it at all. Yeah, no good. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to um, reach out to me afterwards, if there's a specific thing, that you can kind of um, paint a bit more context around then, cool. I'm also slightly nervous standing up here, so <laughs> my brain, my brain's not really working. Yeah, yeah. Got another question here. All right, keep them coming. Right. Um, great work with your presentation Thank for you very a much. first first go. Um, I guess my question is, when you have microcopy that's there to really serve um, like business requirements or mm. a legal purpose, how do you get people not to overlook the microcopy? Because often, you know people tick boxes just to kind of get to the next step of what they're trying to do. How can you draw them in to pay attention to it? Uh, I suppose if you've got anything where there's feedback channels that are, if, if you know for a fact that there are customers that are saying something is confusing or they don't feel like they're given enough information up front or they've got to dig for it, that's when microcopy can, you know, really save people a click. Um, just simple things like just changing button labels, just changing, adding descriptions, if as long as they're concise and clear enough. Um, yeah, I, does that answer a little bit? Cool, I'll take the nod as a yes, thank you. Anyone else at the back here? No? Ah, there we go. So if you go under, you're gonna get a lot of questions, just letting you know. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm going, well, maybe oh. I should have done the long version. <laughs> I'll try and talk slowly. No, I'm just... <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> uh, my question was around, um, so how would you demonstrate the value of good microcopy to uh, like other internal teams, like branding and marketing your product? I guess who maybe traditionally have more ownership over the copy? Does that make sense? That is a very good question. And it's kind of like a, a weird one that I 
had a big challenge with this where it's like, um, when is it marketing or sales copy and when is, when is it micro copy and things like that? And it's actually really hard because sometimes they are so intertwined that it's hard to tell one from the other. Um, sorry, what was the question again? Like, um, because so they are just how would you, I guess, um, because marketing copy is very different to micro copy, like because mm. they serve different functions. Yeah. Like how would you? Uh, but if you wanted to have that conversation with the marketing teams, like, um, mm. what's the best way to kind of change the perspective, uh, or at least uh, show the value of it? Go, please do. Hello, I'm Elle. I run the Sydney Content Strategy Meetup, so we do a lot of microcopy work. And yeah, I was lucky enough to work two. with Atlassian for two years, and they have done a huge amount of work around microcopy. They've created these really awesome things called Voiceify cards, where you're looking at empty states, error states, and how your voice and tone might be employed in that instance. And they are doing a huge amount of work, A-B testing flows, where they are not testing interaction changes at all. They're just changing the microcopy and they're finding they're having huge results based on that. So there's a whole bunch of ways you can do it, but yeah, A-B testing, um, because then you can see this really com comprehensive um, change to the way people are interacting, customers, users are interacting with your product. So that is a really compelling way that I would recommend. Thanks. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> Whew, That's the ultimate curveball. participation, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Ah, kit. Awful presentation, uh. should feel ashamed. No, it was <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, I'm curious about mm. the cancel example specifically. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of a debate that uh, I'm aware of on the UX Stack Exchange community a bit with whether or not the word cancel when you're cancelling an operation is itself deceptive. Mm. Uh, cancelling a cancel versus continuing with a cancel. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, given that you kind of held up the final screen as a fairly good representative example about mm. how that should be dealt with, uh, do you have a strong opinion one way or the other about how, how that should be approached? I think as long as, are you saying like cancel as opposed to like cancel as an exit and cancel as a, yeah, proceeding with cancel? I suppose you'd need to, you could probably test to verify, but for me, as long as you're explicit enough about the action that's behind it, then I'm cool with that. So if it said cancel subscription, I would expect you're cancelling the subscription. But if it just said cancel as the big green button, then it's kind of open up for debate whether you expect it to, to jump out or proceed with cancelling. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's kind of, I don't have any strong opinions either or, as long as you're as clear as you can be. Yeah. And there might be edge cases where it's like it might be one or the other. But, yeah. I reckon this will be our final question. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to do the next talk as well? Or yeah, no? sure, as well. How do we identify that we don't overdo the micro, the use of microcopy in user interfaces? How do we not overdo it? Yeah, because people are putting like tooltips and those little I, I those information icons, and a lot of it is being used in like yeah. um, spots where people can't identify or designers can't identify that this needs supporting copy, microcopy, and um, then we tend to overdo it, and then yeah. the entire UI is filled with tooltips. Definitely don't overdo it. Like it's, I think it's easy to identify or when you're actually doing it. It's easier to identify when you're overdoing something. Like if you're adding something as safety padding when you don't know it's an actual problem, 
then it's kind of when you're overdoing it. Like the, the Slack example, like for example, w that only pops up when you start typing. So if you start typing something, you forget what the, um, if you're not super um, familiar with like markdown syntax and it pops up going, oh, okay, so I just need to wrap it in um, stars and I'm good to go. Um, yeah, like that, it's just kind of like as relevant and as contextual as you can be about anything, that's kind of when microcopy is going to win. Um, but just don't add things because you think something's going to be a problem, um, I suppose, because then it's, that's when it starts to get confusing. Because the more you add, really, the more, it, the more noise you're adding to the interface. So you kind of just need to know that it's a problem before you start adding stuff in there. Cool. Awesome. Any more questions? No. no Thank more you, Richard. Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.